Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. You are listening to the Humane Podcast. Humane is your first look at the startups and industry titans that are leading and disrupting artificial intelligence, data science, future of work, and developer education. I am your host, David Jakobovich, and you are listening to Humane. If you like this episode, remember to subscribe and leave a review. Now, on to the show. Welcome back, listeners, to the Humane Podcast. Today, our guest speaker is Chris Bishop. Chris is a multimodal, non-linear careerist who has launched an exciting new course on LinkedIn Learning called Future Proofing Your Data Science Career. Chris and I originally met at the ODSC conference in New York City, where we were exploring topics around data science and research. And fast forward now to our digital first society with so many career transitions. I had the firsthand look at seeing the beta and the launch of Chris's course on LinkedIn. It's a lot of fun. And Chris, thank you so much for joining us on Humane. Well, thank you, David. I'm delighted to be here and look forward to talking about, you know, what lies ahead, certainly in data science. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on, potential opportunities to do really interesting creative work that not only is fulfilling, but can help the planet. I mean, we're seeing it already with, you know, research sciencing the heck out of you know, vaccines and um, cure investigations, as well as new models around how people get healthcare and how people commute, telecommute. Here we are, you know, in this environment, days full of Zoom meetings. And again, it all represents lots of opportunity across a range of disciplines and verticals, and especially for data scientists. I think it's incredible that having you here today on Humane, there's so much we can talk about, about like reopening the economy and reimagining education and even reimagining careers. I mean, you call yourself, Chris, this non-linear multimodal careerist. I mean, holy guacamole, can we break down like, where does that mean? Let's set up the historical perspective for our audience. 
Okay, so I have a degree in German literature from Bennington College, small liberalized school in Vermont. I minored in music. Right after getting out of school, I got a gig touring with this band called McKendry Spring. I did three albums with them, um, including one at Electric Ladyland, Jimi Hendrix Studio in New York. We opened for bands like The Eagles, ZZ Top, Fleetwood Mac, Frank Zappa, Weather Report. Anyway, the band eventually broke up. I moved to New York, became a studio musician, played with people like Robert Palmer. I did two tours and a live album in London at the Dominion Theater, playing bass and keyboards and guitar with him. Played with Chuck Berry at the Meadowlands, played with Bo Diddley at Danceteria and The Bottom Line. Ended up in the jingle business, writing music for television, running a Sinclavier, which was the digital musical instrument at the time. Uh, played bass and sang on the first Kit Kat jingle. Give me a break. Oh, give me a break. Break me off a piece of that Kit Kat bar. And because you get residuals, these checks would just appear in your mailbox. You know, it was like pretty amazing. And then I became intrigued by the web and taught myself to be a web producer and worked at a couple of uh, seminal interactive agencies in New York. And then, much to my surprise, was hired by IBM into their fledgling corporate internet programs division. And I worked at IBM for 15 years, doing lots of different things. We were pulled into strategy roles pretty quickly as these line of business execs with P&Ls realized they could actually sell stuff and service customers and interact with journalists and analysts and partners using this wacky web thing. And I did a lot of social media stuff there, exec comms, worked at the IBM Foundation, and then was eligible to leave about seven years ago and um, left and have been out on my own kind of doing freelance writing and uh, speaking. And I, to be honest, I realized when I got invited to give a talk, a keynote at Bennington College about my multiple careers, it was like, I'm sort of the poster child for the way today's learners are going to work. I mean, they're going to have multiple careers, right? The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics says today's learners will have eight to 10 jobs by the time they're 38. Other data says, you know, eight, like 85% of the jobs that today's learners are going to do haven't been invented yet. That certainly applies to data science. They're going to use technology that doesn't exist today that's going to make things like smartphones look really clumsy and stupid and way too big and you had to carry it around in your pocket. What a waste of time, Grandpa. That's pretty lame. And so I've just been sort of talking and thinking about this. And as luck would have it, soon after we met at the ODSC conference, I connected with a gentleman from LinkedIn Learning and he said, I think your content would be valuable to the LinkedIn learning audience. And and here we are. My course just came out, I think, May 1st. So it's out in the world. That's how I'm, so that's my nonlinear multimodal path so far. I think it's such an incredible story to see how anyone can reinvent themselves because it's all about not only the classic follow your passion and some of these topics that we'll hear you talk about as we discover your course during today's live show and for those playing back on our Spotify or Apple platforms, but also to see that it's all about you know, persistence and commitment and discovering how you get into industries. And, you know, when we think of the workplace models, what was work in the 1920s, the 1950s, the 1980s, even today? I mean, where do you see data science fitting into those historical workplace models? Well, I think for one thing, the workplace model has kind of been blown up, right? As we've seen, people can work from home or from wherever, on the train or in a Starbucks, 
and be, if not as productive, more productive because they're more in control of their time. Now, there are things you miss. I mean, serendipitous interaction with other employees or coworkers or partners or whatever in the workplace. But I think models around how people collaborate and work have been completely blown up by the the pandemic, right? It's You have the gentlemen and women who run, for example, large financial services organizations saying, you know, why are we putting 7,000 people in a building in Midtown and paying not only the rent, but the fully burdened rate to heat it and cool it and run uh, phone lines uh, and, you know, IT support and whatever, like let them do it in their pajamas and let's do something else with the money. <laughs> I mean, that's a little simplistic, but that's certainly the direction. And I think, again, data science, there's going to be lots and lots of opportunities to take these learnings, as you said, about education. So all these kids are learning from home now, right? I mean, I feel so badly for the high school and college seniors who didn't get to really graduate. They, you know, driving by in a car holding up a sign isn't quite the same as convening on the quad and having some illustrious speaker give you words of wisdom. But it's again, it's a new model. And I think the opportunity, again, for data science to rethink how information is shared and distributed represents huge opportunity. You know, this opportunity is something that I think is just changing every day, but we're going to be moving to, I think, a society where everything is tech first or digital first, even as we reopen the economy, reimagine work. You know, what we're seeing today has a lot of history. In fact, when we're thinking about in your course and in data science, all these big tools like Python and Scala and Julia and all these interesting languages with frameworks like TensorFlow, there's a lot that led up to them. I mean, what have you seen? What are some of the precursors to today's data science tools? So one of the devices I always love to cite, and I think to be honest, they edited from my course, <laughs> but uh I always reference something called the Antikythera Mechanism, and I encourage your listeners to check it out. It's a sort of shoebox-sized device that was discovered in the Mediterranean in the early part of the 20th century by some sponge divers, but it's this very complex device, handmade, of course, brass and wood, and it was able to calculate the orbits of the four planets closest to the sun to register cycles of the Olympics every four years to represent solar and lunar eclipses, I think over like a hundred year span. No one really knows who built it. They describe it as sort of the first analog computer. But again, the idea is, yeah, there it is. You know, humans have been creating devices to make work simpler and faster and easier for literally thousands of years. So this is sort of the first example that I cite of you know, human brains getting together to design and build, not only design, but create a really complex device that delivered value and that made it easier, made their lives simpler. I actually was in Athens, of all things, and went to the museum where this is housed, and it was out being, like, repaired or restored or something. I was like, I can't believe it. It's not here. <laughs> but there are lots of devices like this. I think of Charles Babbage, right, and his first his difference engine, then the analytical engine, a physical device that was designed to do addition and subtraction and eventually multiplication and division. And it was never really built in his lifetime, but um, they did, I think in the, the 70s, a team at the British Museum put together a version of it that actually works. So there's lots of history, lots of precedents for 
the kinds of tools that led to humans manipulating data the way we do today with algorithms and using artificial intelligence and machine learning. So it's part of a long arc that goes back really thousands of years and is going to continue for thousands of years. I think it's so incredible to see where modern math has the magic. I know when I was growing up, I participated in math competitions. And one of the things that was prided from the best teachers in the industry was, could you do mental math? Can you solve these complex trig problems with no calculator, sometimes even no pencil or paper? It was really to see those proficiencies. But, you know, we're seeing now that the business perspective has changed. We're trying to build applications. We're building technologies that are all about automation and scaling into the fourth industrial revolution. Chris, what have you seen or why and where are these data science applications being explored and being expanded? Well, I think an interesting example to share is, is the New York Stock Exchange. So they opened yesterday, right after the Memorial Day weekend. Governor Cuomo rang the bell with a mask on. But the bottom line is actually... With all due respect, that space is basically a catering hall now because there are algorithms that are doing most of the trading. I mean, there are certainly people in there doing work, but, you know, back to your comment about math, I mean, algorithms can make assessments and recommendations buy and sell, you know, way faster than a human can. So that's the model. It's like, let's let's use tools that'll help us move faster, you know, work better, work more efficiently, improve productivity. And that's just kind of one, you know, one clear example. We're also seeing, I mean, AI being used to help radiologists examine uh, x-rays, right? And now they're, I think their level of accuracy has exceeded humans, probably not in every setting, but things like lung cancer, they can more accurately identify tumors in AI instance than, say, a seasoned radiologist. You know, it's the application of data science, it's just a couple of examples. It's happening in all kinds of disciplines, all kinds of verticals. And I think it's exciting. Travel and transportation. I mean, a lot of data science put into the unfortunately scrubbed mission today, but hopefully we'll see the SpaceX launch on Saturday. I mean, that's going to open up incredible opportunities for data scientists, not just around NASA, but ancillary businesses, right? Yet keep in mind that there's a whole support system, an ecosystem that lets those two guys sit in that capsule and blast off to the ISS. I mean, lots and lots of businesses and data scientists working to put that together to make that go. And the next frontier is like Mars, right? Or mining asteroids. Um, I talk a little bit about solar sails in my course, you know, the ability to use photons to propel devices through space as the source of energy, that's a data science problem. Mining asteroids is a data science problem. Weather is a data science problem, right? IBM bought the Weather Channel for lots of different reasons, one of which is to be able to equate sort of trending in purchasing uh, with weather patterns. And what kind of insights could they gain from that kind of data crunching? It's pretty wild. I think what's so wild about these acquisitions is everything's about the data. And there's such a deluge of data. I mean, as we're talking about SpaceX, you know, the first attempt to 
bring humans back into space from North America. We'll see where those missions go. But there was data that informed the teams that they had to postpone this launch to help ensure it was safe and successful. And data is everywhere. There's such a deluge of data. I mean, why is data growing? Why is it everywhere now? Well, I think there are lots of reasons, right? I mean, you know, everything is generating data now, right? And the idea is that data is is empowering. It can also be disabling, and there are certainly conversations about privacy and confidentiality. But I think at the end of the day, the ability to capture data and represent it accurately is a good thing. I mean, I like being prompted based on my preferences about things to buy or restaurants to go to or movies to see or flights to book or whatever. I think that's, you know, that's all good. I think also the the burgeoning IoT, right, when everything from your shoes to your car to your garage door to your refrigerator has an IP address and is collecting and uh, distributing data is daunting, but that's sort of partly where the deluge is coming from. But again, using tools like AI and machine learning, we can take that data and make sort of sense out of it and rationalize it, not only to live more comfortably, but also to like drive innovative business models. I think that's a key as well. And it's so interesting to think about these business models because there's so much non-traditional work that is going to change our world. And, you know, we're thinking of these big ideas that today seem very far away, outside of our scope, like mining, you know, space rocks, right? Or having life cohabitate on Mars. But some of these actually, could they be future data science opportunities for people who are learning the code today? They could be, absolutely. One of the things I describe in my LinkedIn learning course is the fact that interesting new careers, jobs, and certainly in data science, are emerging at the intersection of unlikely or historically disconnected disciplines, right? So by that, I mean, example one I cite is nanopharmacy. So they're now creating ingestible bots that can carry pharmacology at the atomic or molecular level right to the affected area, to the tumor or to the wound or to the... uh, you know, the area where the medicine is needed. So that job, that uh, career is going to require skills around sort of nanomechanical engineering, right? And there's that fantastic center at MIT, if just if your listeners aren't aware, they publish newsletters as well, like a $400 million facility on the campus at MIT focused on nano engineering. And the other scale is going to be around pharmacology, again, at the atomic or molecular level. How do you create uh, medicines, if you will, that can be you know, targeted very specifically that are based on very often on genetic information, like we're seeing like RNA and DNA approaches to developing vaccines and cures for COVID-19, right? All that kind of science that's going on now in these crazy times is going to be expanded. It's going to set models and precedents for how medicine uh, is created and delivered, you know, how healthcare and bio, biomedicine is created. Going forward, I think it's, again, as crazy as these times are, I think we're going to see some innovative uses of data science coming out of it. That's just, you know, one one area, one discipline. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Yeah, I think definitely healthcare is one of the big winners in digital transformation in 2020. And this is going to, I think, cause a complete renaissance in the health tech community for technology. I mean, whether we're looking at temperature scans or CT scans, these are things that we cannot even think about using data to generate insights five years ago. And now this is so quickly accelerating. It's just helping me be reminded that careers are always changing and the data science industry is continuing to change. I mean, Chris, you've shared with us that you've been through this journey of you know, eight careers and they're constantly evolving into new seasons and, and trends. And one of the core pillars you've established with your course on LinkedIn is this future career toolkit. Can you share with us about how are these tools and how do they work? Sure. So I, um, again, after I was asked to give this keynote address to a group of seniors at my alma mater, it sort of dawned on me and looking back that I'd had these multiple careers. And again, having done some research around trends in the global economy, I'm a big fan of, uh, Books by Economists, a great book, by the way, that I just finished is called More. The author is an economist. He writes for The Economist. I'm going to draw a blank on his name now that I've said his name, but it's a fantastic book. Sort of the history of the global economy from the Iron Age to the present. But he captures how the economic model has changed and get a lot of implications around data science for sure, because there's always data on some level. Reminds me, I was at an event recently sitting next to an economist, and someone at the podium was speaking about future jobs and global economies, whatever, and that, you know, the jobs, many of the jobs from 50 years ago don't exist today. And he turned to me and he goes, thank goodness they don't exist today. <laughs> like, what a relief. Can you imagine if we were still doing stuff we were doing 50 years ago? I mean, think of healthcare or even medicine. But anyway, so my toolkit is sort of me reflecting on how I navigated these careers and trying to codify them into these three future career tools. And I always say this, this perspective was burnished in the crucible. This isn't something I re didn't read a lot of academic papers and cite a lot of academicians and uh, scholars. This is like me schlepping around New York with my bass on my back in the subway trying to get a gig as a musician where, you know, getting the job is the job. Um, so I call them voice, antenna, and mesh. 
And simply put, voice is sort of finding your brand, your value prop, what it is that you do that no one else can do. And, and I use an ideation technique based on analyzing or selecting a favorite movie, TV show, even a game, a book, could be a graphic novel, whatever, and then teasing out, bubbling up what it is about that book or movie or game or TV show that resonates with you. Sort of using that to set up sort of criteria around what your voice is, right? Then the second one is antenna, where I ask people to look at sources. Where are conversations going on around these topics? So for me, my favorite movie recently is Blade Runner 2049. So I'm a tech guy. I'm into future culture. So the follow-on for antenna is where are those conversations going on? So I look to uh, BBC Click, the TV show that's a weekly program that explores interesting new technology and how it's being used in business. I certainly look at the New York Times. Bloomberg Technology is a source of information about future tech and culture. So that's the antenna piece. And then the third piece is mesh, which I like to describe as a sort of three-dimensional data visualization of your network. So it's like trying to track down, based on the antenna exercise, where the people and companies and organizations are that are having conversations about the topics you're interested in. You know, where is this work getting done? And tracking them down and connecting with them, getting on their proverbial radar and finding out what groups they're in, who they're connected to. I describe it as doing the Twitter math, like who are they connected to, who do they follow, who follows them, then who do those people follow. And building out this mesh of context is, again, it's a numbers game at the end of the day, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the more people that know who you are and what your value prop is and what you're interested in, the better your odds of finding your next data science career and the one after that. So exploring these three areas of the toolkit, voice, antenna, and mesh, they're all so important. And, you know, I think they're all underrated. I don't think enough people spend enough time working on them. For me, voice has been something that, well, we're talking about it on the podcast, right? Building that over time. And I think the soft skills is often missed in a lot of communication for data scientists. Why do you think that is? And how can we change that? Well, I think, again, I encourage data scientists, once you sort of go through these exercises, but keep in mind that you want to try to be moving up the value chain, right? To use a economist term, right? And the model I use is in the music biz, right? Because I spent a lot of time in the music biz, 20 years as a professional bass player, right? In New York. You start out as a musician, and then maybe eventually you work your way into a role as an arranger, and then maybe you become a composer. And then the sort of final destination for me is being a producer. That's kind of the path that I took, certainly in the jingle business, right? So by the end, as a producer, I was hiring people that I thought were great to play on my compositions. So the same model applies, I think, to data science. So get in, first of all, get into a discipline or a vertical that you're interested in, you know, a topic area that you're passionate about, because then you'll be successful if you're interested in it. And then find ways to be able to sort of step back and provide more strategic kind of higher level business perspective, like respect the fact that you know more than you think you might know about how, say, a business is run. And, so, you know, some, it's not for everybody. Certainly some people are content just to be the session bass player or the data scientist, you know, helping do the work on the ground. But I would encourage data scientists, again, as this is such a rapidly evolving and morphing field, to think about how to move up into, say, 
a management role or a strategy role, to not be afraid to sort of contribute ideas about, you know, solutions for innovative products and services that a company might take on to drive their business model. Because you as a data scientist have a very unique perspective about what kind of data gets collected, how it gets used, how it gets applied, what the benefit of doing that might be. And it sounds like a lot of that from honing your voice and sharing your opinion and talking about the tech leads into, as you've shared, Chris, the antenna, right? Building this intuition to see where is the industry going? Where's the marketplace? I mean, I'm sure just like yourself, I live my life in my email inbox. Sure, I'm using different tools like Slack and Teams today, but I will tell you the amount of newsletters I get weekly goes upwards of a thousand. I mean, it is, I can tell like so much and, you know, we have to build these right uh, ways to go through the data deluge, right? It's just a data deluge of information, which I feel like so privileged to be like, we're living in a world where there's so much access and equity in this information, but how do you act on that information? How do you form that antenna? That's so important. Yeah, yeah. So as you said before, I mean, this deluge, again, when I say in my my course, it's like, the good news is there's lots of sources of information, and the bad news is there's lots of really good sources of information. So, you know, managing, parsing, doing triage on the tsunami of info is the challenge. And I struggle with it myself. I still do. I mean, I get lots and lots of emails. But in terms of building the antenna grid, it's a, a grid model, right? I think there are a lot of indicators like your inbox, like what newsletters do you subscribe to? Those that sort of indicate subliminally or not, you know, topics you're interested in. You know, you subscribe because it aligns in theory with your voice. Um, I would look at bookmarked uh, websites as well. Like, what have you bookmarked? What's the stuff that's in your across the top of your browser that you need to get to quickly? The implication is these are topic areas you're interested in. The broader implication is maybe they represent focus areas for a data science career, right? If you've got like QuickBooks that you use all the time, maybe you're interested in writing some code that helps people deal with finances in a better way or... Maybe Evernote, so you're looking at managing notes. I mean, on and on, sort of doing some analysis of the sources of information already. But the challenge, is, you know, is certainly to parse it down. The other thing I encourage people to do is sort of set some kind of temporal boundaries around the deluge. Like, okay, I'm going to look at the BBC click once a week. I'm going to check the New York Times website once a day. I'm going to go to the John Hagel's Twitter feed, uh, you know, every every other day or whatever. So you kind of manage, you know, put a box around some of this stuff somehow. That's one way to do it, right? I think that's also smart because we can get caught into this learning trap where we go down these rabbit holes of learning theory without applying the results. You know, with data scientists that I work with each day, I tell them we need to apply the results, translate it to the business. And part of that is knowing that, you know, you can learn forever. I mean, as you've gone through your eight career iterations and myself, I think my learning list of Python packages is just endless. There's a point that you have to know to, you know, exit the war and just know that you keep picking up the learning as your time permits. Yeah. I think learning is key. I heard it stated by 
some writer recently that we have to stop thinking of education as an event that happened in time. Wow. Right? Isn't that an interesting perspective? Like education is not the four years you spent in college or the 12 years in K through 12 in your town, wherever you grew up or whatever. Education is something that goes on your whole life. It never ends, especially in this environment. I mean, the in the second decade of the 21st century, learning is a nonstop process. You've got to be doing it your whole life, just like networking, the same kind of thing. I mean, you never wake up one morning and say, okay, I know everything I need to know, and I have all the contacts I need. I can chill now. It's like, uh, no, that's never going to happen. So you need to sort of a, get into a mindset where you're like, you know, every day try to learn something new. Or um, I always, in terms of the networking thing, I always admonish, especially university students and early career millennials, at the end of the week, if you haven't added three to five people to your LinkedIn network, get to it. Make it a job. You know, five o'clock Friday, if you missed a deadline, you know, get on it. Find people back to the mesh thing who are doing interesting work in the space you aspire to be in and track them down. Send them an in-mail, uh, message them, track down their email on a blog that they post or on a corporate site that they're on or whatever and, and build your network. You know, it's, it's the old adage, off described to showbiz, but true in every biz now it's not what you know, it's who you know. So building your mesh is critical. Yeah, I completely agree there. Uh, I recently ran a report called Bounce Back from COVID-19, where we were giving this presentation to you know college graduates and seeing like what could new opportunities be for them in the software and data science world. And I talked about all these platforms, but I really honed in on LinkedIn. I talked about a lot of common things that people don't know how to discover on the platform that are hidden gems, such as getting those daily emails with the titles you're interested in. Or like you mentioned, you know, Chris, just as important as customizing a message. Hey, Chris, love to connect with you. I just studied your LinkedIn learning course on the future of data science careers. Be an honor to connect. I mean, who would not accept that invitation? Well, yeah, exactly. Most people are very willing to like connect. I mean, occasionally, you know, people are you know, going to want you to have their email address, but I'd say nine times out of 10, or even higher odds than that, people are ready to have a conversation and get, get connected. Yeah, I describe LinkedIn as the pleated pants of social networks, but it certainly is, from a career perspective, it's the lingua franca, it's the coin of the realm. I mean, you've got to have some degree of a pimped out LinkedIn profile to get people's attention, to hire you, to, to invite you to be part of a project or whatever. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. And so as we're still in this digital world that's being reimagined, we, we hear that, you know, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is partnering with New York State to reimagine education, reimagine the workforce. And, and this optimism, I think, can be founded in a good place. There is so much like we're talking about here from not only the comments that we've heard on the show today, but don't waste a good crisis, right? Winston Churchill, you know, can we rise better. And one of my big bets, this is like the most contrarian thing I have said in 2020, is I think cities like New York City and San Francisco are going to be bigger and stronger and more economically vibrant 
post-COVID than before. I think the aggregation economy is just going to couple and scale even further. It's a very contrarian statement that we still have to see, you know, how that's going to tune out. I think I've won the support of Mark Zuckerberg because he has said that those remote employees will have salary adjusted to their cities and states. But um, to be determined, that's one of my predictions. Um, what are you seeing as some like trends, outcomes, predictions, you know, for, for data science or just the industries in general? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you're right. I mean, cities are always going to be sort of the hub where there's a lot of energy, where there's a lot of ability to mix and mingle, where disciplines can get connected, where you know, smart thinking can can go on where business and, you know, private sector and academia and public sector organizations can kind of co-mingle and share ideas and innovate and develop uh, solutions together. So I, I agree. I mean, I'm a fan of the city for sure. Along those lines, though, my general advice, certainly to all careerists, but definitely to data scientists, has always been and served me well, is chase the maelstrom, find the chaos, go for the mayhem. So go where they don't know what it is yet, and then you can be involved, you can have a creative role, you can do something interesting and innovative, and be employed uh, gainfully and be remunerated, right? So it served me well for years in, in my multiple careers. I mean, I think of getting into the web biz. I mean, and so in 1995, I sort of became enamored with this wacky new technology of the internet. And I thought, you know, this is probably going to have like a global socio-cultural and business impact. And to be honest, I thought there might be music with them. I thought these websites certainly wouldn't be mute. They'd need some kind of underscore or whatever, that the IBM site would have a big theme and then the software group would have their own version of it and then they'd hire John Williams to write the server and technology group version of it and uh, maybe there'd be like a more marimba, African-themed for emerging I love it. markets. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? But it never happened anyway. But anyway, I, I sort of went into this web thing and, you know, it served me well. It was an emerging technology that people didn't quite know what to do with it. And people from all different kind of disciplines and backgrounds were getting into it. So fast forward 2020, the areas where I've encouraged data scientists to focus are things like certainly AR and VR in the education space and in the medical space and in, even in financial services. I would encourage them to investigate crypto assets, blockchain and Bitcoin those are all going to be big, big opportunities. Certainly 3D printing. I mean, they used to print plastic tchotchkes, and now they're printing like vascular tissue and organs, ears and noses, right? Certainly space, you know, SpaceX. I mean, you can be sure Elon Musk has a horde, a coterie of data scientists working that project and all his projects. I mean, travel and transportation is being transformed. Hyperloop, right? Certainly not alone Tesla and autonomous vehicles, but I mean, the whole model around how people travel around the planet is being transformed, right? You know, biotech, certainly education. I mean, almost everything you can think of is being transformed by technology and the implications are on data science. As I mentioned, David, before we were talking, I'm actually going to be the master of ceremonies next week at a conference called Inside Quantum Technologies, and I'm going to be uh, moderating a couple of panels. I was telling David, I telling you, I had a conversation this morning with the gentleman who runs the quantum practice for Airbus. He's a Spanish guy based in Portsmouth, England. And his background is sort of in aerospace technology, but he's 
working with sort of quantum sensors uh, and how they apply to satellites, right? They run Skynet 5, which is this constellation of satellites that enable global telecommunications and uh, navigation. So, Uh-oh, Skynet. <laughs> Skynet, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, that's sort of a general you know, set of guidelines that I would encourage data scientists to explore. Going to be lots of really new, interesting stuff going on. So get to it. The opportunities are out there. I think it's so fascinating that a lot of the technologies that you've been sharing today on our show to the listeners, Chris, could have been seen, you know, 5, 10, 15 years ago as moonshot projects so outside the realm of possibility. And some of them are so close to being real today. I mean, self-driving cars, like, I will close my eyes and we will be having self-driving cars because we already do. We have these buses and these vehicles on the road which means how close are we to real quantum, like in the devs show? How close are we to crypto? I mean, we're seeing in Asia where crypto wallets are just running systems and supply chains. So we're having those shifts now. And it's just incredible to see how technology continues to increase the speed of clip that it changes. Chris, what final call to action would you like to share with our listeners today on the show? So... I would say, um, certainly to data scientists and really to any and all listeners, right, about in terms of careers and jobs, you're going to do stuff that's going to look like magic to me based on what was around when I graduated from college, for example. So get to it. I want to see it before I, you know, exit the planet because there's lots of really interesting opportunities to do fun and beneficial stuff in the data science space that can have impact on humanity broadly, on business specifically, and certainly on culture and society more generally. So um, get out there and explore, please. Excellent. Well, this has been Chris Bishop, a nonlinear multimodal careerist and the author of Future Proofing Your Data Science Career on LinkedIn Learning. Chris, thanks for joining us on Humane. Well, thank you, David. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Humane Podcast. What do you think? Did the show measure up to your thoughts on artificial intelligence, data science, future of work, and developer education? Listeners, I want to hear from you so that I can offer you the most relevant, trend-setting, and educational content on the market. You can reach me directly by email at david at humanepodcast.com. Remember to share this episode with a friend, subscribe and leave a review on your preferred podcasting app and tune in to more episodes of Humane. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. 
From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite.